I have to tell you about these miniature gun models called goat guns. My guy loves building and collecting them. I was most surprised by the complexity of these models. They're really high quality. His dad and friends always ask about it, and if you ask me, these get a little too much attention around here. Shop for yours at GoatGuns.com. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. And welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We are continuing our horror month celebration and our week of vampires with a look at the movie that came out. Oh man, it pains me to say this, but this came out 35 years ago. (laughs) Oh, Susie, you're young. Stop it. (laughs) Susie wasn't even born. This is a pre Susie movie. Yeah, this is. This is, yes, yes, this was released on July 31st, 1987. Oh my gosh, I feel old. So, (laughs) oh, Susie. Uh, (laughs) So I have two elderly people on with me and then Susie. (laughs) Yes. Wow. (laughs) Sorry. It was the elder, um, the elder happy hour. The elder happy hour, yes. And we and Susie. <laughs> and Susie. <laughs> the wee fetus. <laughs> the wee fetus. The person who wasn't even a twinkle in anybody's eye <laughs> when this movie was out. Yes, I will not say how old I was when this movie was first out. We'll just say I was like one. Just kidding. <laughs> we'll go with that. Okay, Erin. Okay, you were also a twinkle. <laughs> Yes, we'll just go with that, okay? Okay, do not con- contradictory. Do not contradictory me. Do not con- <laughs> contradict me. Uh, we are also, I want to say up front, we are recording this late at night. So if Carla gets a little bit, you know, a little bit like out there, tipsy, weird, whatever, just blame the hour. I'm just picking on Carla. <laughs> blame it on the late, because it's almost midnight. Which and I am too old to be up this late. Yep. That was good, Carla. That was. That was really good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, like, don't encourage me, but do. My panelists are already like, goodbye, Aaron. <laughs> this has been fun. Um, but if you don't know what the Lost Boys is, then why are you why are you on this planet? <laughs> because they were born after 1987. Okay, Susie's like, um, I know what the Lost Boys is. Susie's cool though. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the Lost Boys, like we said, came out in 2007. <laughs> Accepted. Move on accepted so uh it's about after moving to a new town this is the imdb description after moving to a new town two brothers discover that the area is a haven for vampires bum, bum, bum. 
yes yes it was directed by joel the late great joel schumacher it was written by quite a few people <laughs> um jan fisher had the story screenplay as janice fisher james jeremiah's story screenplay credit and jeffrey bohm as screenplay credit it stars jason patrick as michael Corey Haim as Sam, Michael's brother, Diane Wiest as Lucy, their mother, Bernard Hughes as their grandfather, Kiefer Sutherland as David, Jamie Gertz as Star, Corey Feldman as Edgar Frog, Jameson Newlander as Alan Frog, Edward Herman as Max, Alex Winter, he was alexander winter then as marco chance michael corbett as laddie uh sorry i know there's a bunch of other people i'm just stop there because we'll be here forever if i keep going keep going um, tell us tell us who plays you know um ferris wheel operator number three i could tell you that <laughs> <laughs> tell us who plays the sax that is Timmy Capello. That's Timmy Capello is the beach concert star. That's what he's credited as. Beach concert star. <laughs> oiled Not up oiled sax up player. Jazz. <laughs> also known as Carla's favorite character in the movie. Oh, God. <laughs> the way uh, I pine. Just a couple of quick little trivia notes here. Uh, and some of these actually would have been trivia questions for our first night's horror trivia event. None of, my, none of these people are competing, so I can give them away in here. But Santa Cruz, which I don't know if any of my panelists have been to Santa Cruz. I have had the best calamari in the world in Santa Cruz. Yeah. Did you have calamari there, Carla? I didn't, but I did get to see all the gorgeous views. So that makes up for it. Yes, it's beautiful. I actually stayed overnight there. But Santa Cruz, where Santa Carla takes place, was once plagued with the reputation of being the murder capital of the world because of a series of very brutal murders by three different very disturbed men in the early 70s. The new location of the Atlanta's Fantasy World comic book store, which was featured in the film, is owned by Joe Ferrara II, who still carries the original number one issue of Vampires Everywhere that Sam reads in the film. The comic was created only for the film, and its opening page is signed by all of the cast members from the movie. Every year at the landmark Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk in Santa Cruz, California, this film is screened as part of the park's free summer movie series. In the documentary, Blood Sucking Cinema, <laughs> from 2007, Corey Haim said that all the blood had glitter in it to give it a shimmering effect and was slimier than other fake blood. I've heard the blood was just absolutely awful in this, the fake blood. Because of that, because of all the glimmer, uh, a couple of years back, Shudder, who we love, hosted like a... Like a virtual screening of this where people that worked behind the scenes were talking about things and that was the big thing they talked about was the blood with the glitter was so stupid because it was so hard to work with for everybody because as what do you call glitter sasha craft herpes (laughs) (laughs) i can't imagine craft herpes mixed with stage blood and the sticky gross Yeah. Yeah. This was the fil- first film that both of the Corys appeared together. Corey Feldman was already a drug addict at the time, and he was struggling with drug abuse, and he kept showing up to work, coming down from cocaine binges. He was just a mess. 
And um, he almost wasn't in the movie because of that. Joel Schumacher was absolutely furious about this. But he got hired back, Corey apologized, and swore to come to work prepared, which he did from then on. Um, the film is titled after the companions of J.M. Barry's Peter Pan, who remained forever young, which just another little thing on that. These characters were originally supposed to be really young. The vampires were supposed to be kind of like, it was supposed to be like the Goonies in a way, but with vampires. But then they aged them up, thank God. <laughs> I don't think this would be as lasting, have a lasting impact if it wasn't for that. So, yeah. I will stop there because there are so many flipping trivia facts about this movie. There are a couple that I'm going to be sprinkling in when we get to certain things, but I just wanted to share some of those. But before we dive deep into, before we sink our fangs into this movie, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that I absolutely love. I, I love this movie so damn much so i'm very excited to talk about it but before we do that i want to know what everybody is into right now in pop culture so carla saxophone oh god <laughs> stop trying to to pin sax charges on me aaron <laughs> i can't believe you just keep accosting me with all of this sax like stop you know i'm gonna have to file like charges against you for all of this sexy harassment like honestly but as far as what i'm into hmm. i read a book like Whoa. i know with pages and everything okay like i <laughs> i went to the library and i picked it up and it had pages and i read all of them like all of them and they were so good so the book is called The Book Eaters. And it actually kind of works well with the theme of this movie in a way, because they also have special teeth for what they eat. As the title, you know, leads you to believe they eat books. And it's it, it has so many different genres like melded into one, but it works really well. It, it, it could, in lesser pants, it could have uh, ended up just being like, a, what the hell is this? But Suni Dean, the author, just melds uh, elements of fantasy and horror and fairy tale um, together just beautifully. And there's also, there, there are characters, prominent characters who are LGBTQIA+, which is fantastic because I, I think that that's um, something that, that, has become more accepted and more uh, mainstream, but this book really just treats it like, you know, these are just people, this is their lives and it's fantastic, I love it. And also the author is actually autistic. And so there are elements within that, that kind of, um, I don't know, you have to read it, just like read it. And it makes sense what I'm saying. It's really, really good. The book, the book eaters go look for it and like read it and then tell me what you think or don't you know like if you don't like it shut up I don't care would you say you should consume it I devoured it ah oh, okay you'll eat it right up you really sunk your teeth into that book I really did I tore it apart page by page <laughs> Sasha's face while we were doing that was the best so, <laughs> Sasha, what have you been doing? I just seeking? want to say that I love Sasha's tolerance of my ridiculousness. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I miss you, Carla. <laughs> I have missed the ridiculousness. Um, I too have been a bookworm and trying to catch up on the readings because uh, as some people may know I'm doing a stupid reading challenge and trying to read 50 books this year and I'm mad at myself <laughs> well because I like picked a reading challenge where it's like you have to read a book that matches this or does this or does that and um, I hate myself and I hate to admit this but I fell down the Sarah J Moss Akatar rabbit hole and I can't not. I've read three of them. I'm trying to figure out where I can make them all fit into my reading challenge because I got sucked into the world and I hate myself. I don't know who this is, but Susie is losing it. Susie apparently knows if <laughs> yes. she can't handle herself. <laughs> so who is this? What is this? Well, Sasha, so I, why Susie's losing what it. What happened? I <laughs> all right, listen. True confession time. I, um, as you know, I've started a new job and I'm back in a classroom and I'm working around other people. And there's a whole group of us in, we share an office, a group of teachers shares an office. And they're like, oh, what are you doing tonight? I'm like, oh, I'm going to go home and finish my fairy porn. And they went, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I was like, oh, mixed company, Sasha, mixed company. We don't call it fairy porn. That's in our head. We don't outwardly say the fairy porn. Like, uh, high fantasy? I gotta go. I it's I okay. So it's fairy porn. Uh, <laughs> Susie, are you reading fairy porn? I'm not reading this this you series porn of fairy porn, porn but <laughs> I know enough about it thanks to TikTok and the For You page that keeps like bringing me all these different like edits and such about the series. So at a certain point, I don't even feel like I need to read it anymore because now I, because I just know everything about it Because if this was live, you would have been able to see Susie's, Susie was losing it when Sasha was talking about this. And I'm like, should I know what this is? <laughs> so that's why I had to know what it was because yeah. So, so Susie, I, since you're not into fairy porn or unicorn porn, are you into any kind of porn? <laughs> Well, this isn't a porn per se, but funny enough, I have read a book recently called The Lost Girls. Oh, and it's, yeah. it's a mix. It's it's a mix between like The Lost Boys and John Tucker Must Die, but vampires. <laughs> <laughs> that is so many things. <laughs> so like the premise is like these this there's this man who has all the audacity to like find new girlfriends every certain number of years and make them into vampires while they're teenagers and then after he gets bored of them he dumps them and just goes and finds a new one so it's it's so basically all the exes get together and like hey what if we just kill him so we can be free of him and not have to deal with him anymore and they're like all right great and it's also it's also queer romance, which I love because one of the vampires, one of the exes ends up falling in love with like the current girl that the guy is courting or trying to turn and they get together and all it's real sweet. I liked it. It's a, I, I, it's a good read, I'd say. So check it out, you know. Awesome. Well, I don't have a, I feel kind of like 
um, the odd person out here because I don't have a book to recommend. I apologize. <laughs> no, all my all my panelists. <laughs> oh God. I know. Can't believe that you that you're admitting it out loud. Like, like, can you just like lie okay. or something? Hey, I have probably read more books in the last year than <laughs> a lot of people have. So <laughs> I, I feel I'm I'm okay in my my stuff um so i had something totally something else totally planned to say but then today i decided to watch a very depressing docu-series true crime docu-series it's there's two seasons of it on hulu called the devil you know and the first season is the only one i've watched and it's all about a journalist who races to learn races to learn the truth when human remains are found in the home of self-proclaimed Satanist Zuzu. I'm probably saying that wrong, but um, it's very, very disturbing and very depressing. And it's really more about uh, drug abuse and uh, heroin abuse and um, poverty in this North Carolina town and how all these people were taken advantage of by this person who was i mean whew, it was just he's he's dead but he was just oh my gosh and people turning a blind eye to some of it and people doing things they would have never thought of doing before he was kind of almost like a pseudo pseudo cult leader in a way so it's very depressing so i'm i brought everybody down everybody was all happy and laughing and then uh, bring it to me let it leave it to me i mean <laughs> bring everybody down but if you like true crime um it's on hulu i don't think of it as very exploitative it is interesting because while it's following this story it's also following the story of two people that were friends with this person but now they're they're just they're drug addicts and so it's following them like you see them using, you see them doing all this stuff to try and get money for drugs. So that could sometimes come across as kind of exploitative, but I do think it's interesting. So that's on Hulu. It didn't get very good reviews by viewers on IMDb. And because everybody kept calling all these people white trailer trash. I'm like, <laughs> you were missing the whole point of all of this, but okay. <laughs> anyway, so let's get into the beach i was trying to correlate but it didn't work very well so let's sink our teeth into the 1987 classic the lost boys so i know one of us on here definitely did not see this in the theater um <laughs> i don't know if sasha and carla did but Carla, do you have any special memories about the first time you ever saw this film or any viewing that you've ever had of it? The first time that I watched this movie was the summer after, for family reasons, my sisters had to go to Mexico to live with my grandmother and for a year. And I was by myself and I was, you know, like really sad and really lonely. So my mom's best friend said hey we're going to the northern part of mexico why doesn't carla come with us and you know just we're going to go out there for like a week it'll be fun we're going to take her to carlsbad caverns and this and that and the other it's like fantastic so i got there and it was a lot of fun i'm getting to a point i and it was a lot of fun but there was also a lot of racism in the family that we were visiting of my mom's best friend so i was like 
now doubly lonely. Like I don't have my sisters and I'm kind of trapped in this house with this old woman who looks through my bags because she thinks that I stole her grandson's socks. True story. So, you know, I'm, I was feeling really sad because like the day that this happened, I, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm kind of trapped here until we leave. I go downstairs and I turn on the TV and this movie happens to be playing. And first of all, it's called The Lost Boys. So just the the idea that, you know, what does that kind of bring up? The idea of kids who are on their own. And so like that really resonated with me. And then just the movie, all of it with its themes of, you know, like you are in a different place where you don't know anybody. It's very scary. You don't know who to trust. You don't know who is going to believe you about stuff. And just the the idea of like finding connection and finding friendship. Like for me, that was a fantasy at that moment, you know, like just the, the fantasy of finding connection and friendship with somebody who is maybe a little bit out there uh, was really appealing to me. And I was really sucked in, first of all, by the fact that it took place in a city called Santa Carla, because like, let's face it, there are not enough Carlas in in media like um what is wrong with the name carla it is a beautiful name and it is fantastic like um get on board people and then the the first thing that well you hear that the the creepy the kids singing creepy kids singing is just like you know okay i get it it's horror there are kids all right but then there is people are strange by the doors which i hadn't heard up until this point so this introduced the doors to me and it's just everything that I said about the movie it was really special to me in that moment and it just it became very important to me because it just showed up in my life at the perfect time I love that story so much that makes me love this movie even more honestly I I I mean I love that it was able to to give you that yeah yeah and and it is Echo and the Bunnyman that sings the people are strange. People are strange in the beginning too, just um, to say. And I and because I'm mentioning that because um, I know that Carla and I share a love of the Doors. So the Doors was big for me when I was a teenager, and Jim Morrison's poetry too. Like I loved reading his poetry, um, and so I was kind of obsessed with that <laughs> at that time. And so that was another thing that was so beautiful about the, this was before I was really, really into the doors though. But, um, but it was also an experience for that too. So I love yeah, that me, whole story was me. I, I went, when I got home, I, uh, I found out who actually sang it. I went to the library and I checked out the, the doors CDs. And so <laughs> I went home and I played them and it was um, my rotation of music was the doors, you know, greatest hits. Um, the soundtrack from Greece and the soundtrack from Jesus Christ Superstar. Wow. That's you know, amazing. All of it just flows together so perfectly and beautiful. <laughs> it's 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 a melodic um, you know, salad. I think Jim Morrison would like that. So Of course he would. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, and- man, I really like Jesus Christ Superstar. Someday we'll do an episode on the doors since that means since their music holds a special place in my heart. But just a little trivia off of that, and then I'll get to you, Sasha. But I just wanted to mention, in the cave you of the Lost Boys, you can see a poster of Jim Morrison 
who, of course, as we said, recorded the original version of People Are Strange with the Doors. And also, when Star and Laddie are being carried into Sam's room, you see a poster of Echo and the Bunnymen, who recorded the cover. And I also love Echo and the Bunnymen, too. So, Sasha, do you have any special memories of the first time you saw this? I do, and I'm going to try and get through it really quickly because my rabid wiener is barking. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) That sounds medical, Sasha. Do you want to take care of it now? (laughs) He's just the rabid wiener. I don't know. I have to stop calling him that, too. I'm in public. People can see me and hear me. And this is recorded. I can hear this anyway. I want <laughs> I'm so excited to tell my mom that. It's a rabid wiener. I don't know. So the first time that I saw this, I did not see it in the theater. Um, I rented it on uh, VHS. For those of you that don't know what a VHS is, is it's a really big boxy thing. And they put a movie on it. Phenomenal. It's a, this weird thing big boxy thing anyways um i watched it with my younger brother and i'm sure that we watched like i rented it right after it came out because that's what we did um my parents were out and so my brother and i were watching it i think obviously they had rented it because i was too young to drive um and i very clearly remember the first time we see them vamp out and Kiefer sutherland's character goes and goes this is what we are and spoiler alert bites the bald dude's head and like rips his scalp off and i immediately stopped the movie and was like we're too young to be watching this we should not be watching this this is bad we should not this is we should not be watching this so i turned it off we went and did something else and then i think my brother like went to bed something happened and then i very sneakily stealthily finished it without him because he was two years younger and i was like this is no 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 this no too much too much but yeah, my uh, parents clearly didn't check what we were renting or didn't care. I don't know. I'm sure it was just like, oh, kids want it. It's fine. Just get whatever. Because I'm old like that. Moving on. Whew. So Susie, I know you're just a tad bit younger than us. Um, <laughs> just, just go. So, but do you have any special memories of when you first saw this film or anytime you saw the film? Picture this, 1997, I walked into my local <laughs> cinema for the matinee showing of the <laughs> And you were five years old. I know. <laughs> were they re-released? A mere wisp of a child. Sad to say that was not how I actually watched the movie for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, so I actually came across this movie when... Um, at a certain point when I was like a preteen, early teen, my family, we got most of our movies from like the pawn shop. So I, I, one day I was just browsing and I just saw it, saw the DVD just sitting there and I, and I grabbed it to look at it and the covers just looked really vampire to me. <laughs> and at the time I was going through like a really big monster, like vampire phase was surprising to say it's it's stuck who could have guessed <laughs> i was about to say phase <laughs> i know <laughs> you're a resident cryptid i know not of what you speak um so <laughs> so i grabbed it and it looked very like vampire to me i didn't even know what it was at the time and so i was like oh okay i went to my dad I was like, can i take this home like, this is the movie that i picked out for this <laughs> for this trip 
and like he said yeah and he got it for me and i remember watching it at home and i was like oh this is this is this is it this scratches an itch in my brain and i like it i dig that was pretty much that was pretty much <laughs> i i love i love how special this movie is to people because i think people like to blow this movie off as just a silly teen vampire movie but it it's special. I mean, I saw this in the theater. I'm the only one here that saw this in the theater when it first came out, apparently. I was one years old, but I still... <laughs> uh, but I Gosh, felt... your memory is just amazing. I know, right? Were, the, were you being given ginkgo biloba in, like, your bottle? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> My mom was a hippie, so, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, but what I love about this movie was number one the vampire aspects of it i love vampires love 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 vampires a lot i also thought it was you know i, I was kind of you know i was young so i didn't really understand why i felt this way but the sex the sexuality of this this is a very sexy movie in a lot of aspects of it are very very sexy um and i didn't quite understand that at that time but it kind of was like one of those awakening kind of things of like oh this is really sexy this person is really sexy watching this but i didn't understand what sexy was at that young age but i i felt that and i actually had the poster above my bed like i had posters all throughout my room but this one was you did it to you it above your bed this one had to be above my bed <laughs> and i <laughs> i was like say good night to the poster every time <laughs> i am not even kidding and I wore out the tape of the soundtrack. And so to me, it was special also because I always felt like such an outsider and such an outcast. And I think that's a lot of what this movie is also about. Like Carla touched on that a little bit too when she was talking about that. But I think that's a lot of what it is about. So seeing these people that are kind of like the weirdos have so much power and control was really intriguing and interesting. And also on a personal note, you know, I was raised by a single mom and the media portrayal of single mothers is usually really negative and usually dwells on like the single mom being a slut or a drug addict or not very caring. And this was the first time I saw a portrayal of a single mom where she was so much like my mom where it was just she was just a mom and she was just trying to do the best she could for her kids and her family and she was a newly single mom and she had the weight of the world on her shoulders and granted she had a father that was a lot more helpful than say my grandfather but it still was such a beautiful blessing to see that and diane weist looks amazingly similar to my mom they're like the haircut everything they're like twins the way they talk the way their face looks it's like watching my mom so on top of it it was like watching this very beautiful portrayal of this wonderful mom who loves her kids so dearly is trying so hard to give them this great life even though it's not the life they had before and she knows in her heart she feels like she's failing she's not but she feels like she is i mean she has to get a job at a video store all that kind of stuff. So it's like she's starting her life anew, but she's portrayed in a very positive light. She's portrayed as a very beautiful, amazing person. And she looked like my mom. So it was like, oh, not all single parents are going to be portrayed as awful. 
So I really appreciated that too. So that that was a lovely aspect. And I liked the sibling dynamic as well. Um, being an older sister and having a younger sister, I related a lot to the way their dynamic was, where you really care about each other and you're protecting each other, but you also are like, God, you are so annoying and you fight all the time. So I liked that too. So yeah, but the, uh, but one of my favorite times ever watching this movie was uh, last year, last summer. They played it at Red Rocks here as part of their, they had a drive-in thing going on during um, parts of the pandemic. And so they were showing this at the drive-in and Red Rocks. And that was, that was incredible. <laughs> that was like being a teenager and, and a young, younger than a teenager again. So. Well, I loved that. I just want to say as an aside, I really loved hearing all of those stories. So I thought that was great. Thank you. That was better than the ones for Back to the Future and Ghostbusters. So honestly, I don't just... Um, wow. <laughs> Thanks. I just mean, it just felt a lot more personal. Everyone's... <laughs> and I love those movies. Like, kind of pointed, like, you know, Carlo was on that too. What was that energy then? That's not what I meant. <laughs> Oh, no. I heard the shade. The shade was thrown. <laughs> it was there. <laughs> oh, look. look. Yeah. Oh, so it may be nighttime, but is the sun out? Because look at all the shade. <laughs> hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in Bigger Than Ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. So I want to talk about the characters. So we're first going to talk about the family here as a group. So Michael, once again, played by Jason Patrick. Sam, played by the late Corey Haim. Lucy, played by Dan Wiest, and Grandpa, played by Bernard Hughes, who also passed away, like, over, like, a long time ago. So, Carla, what are your general thoughts on the family as a whole, their dynamic and everything? And do you have a favorite among them? I, I really enjoy their dynamic, and I really enjoy the 1980s depiction of family life and how just beautifully chaotic it can be. It's it's kind of... um like a choreographed dance where people are tripping over each other, but they're like, Oh, it's fine. We're family. We, you know, that's okay. And like, Oh boys, you know, get down from there. And then they're chasing each other off a chandelier, whatever. It, it just, I was like, you just mentioned chandeliers. <laughs> <laughs> I said that for Sasha's benefit because the chandelier people will come out and get you. <laughs> With a saxophone player. With a saxophone. I mean, I saw the chandelier in the, the lair and I was like, Sasha. What if it was a chandelier made of saxes? <gasps> Where's my holy water? But yeah, I, I love that that it just it feels kind of natural and very it just feels like soothing to me. It's like, you know, like like warm soup on a cold day that kind of depiction of family because it makes me think of movies like et and the goonies and just other non-spielberg movies that have family dynamics especially when there are kids involved i i did like the fact that and it, it, it's 
more prominent in my mind now than it was when I first watched it that this woman who has kids and is divorced is portrayed as desirable and and beautiful and sexy and not just like this dowdy frustrated person who doesn't know what the hell she's doing and she's gone to her dad for help because help me I don't know what to do for parenting she's going to him because it's her father and she just got divorced and she is apparently not getting like financial help from her husband that's all that there is to it it's I I feel like like the movie even goes to great lengths to portray her as a competent adult period um the grandfather you know you got to have the kooky grandpa the kooky kind of grumpy does taxidermy and leaves you presents like a cat would as you're sleeping grandpa who wears a tie on his head and and you know has the cucaracha playing on his um on his little jalopy he is both clueless and completely clued in and you don't really find out how clued in he is until the very end of the movie where he comes in and he's the one who who really saves the day um and the brothers i i always like seeing siblings who don't hate each other because there are so many movies where it's like, I hate you, I hate you too, but now we're thrown in this catastrophic situation where we must band together to save the town. And now I grudgingly love you. Uh, I guess I like you too. These two love each other so much from the get-go. Michael, as much as, as he's, and, and who wouldn't be annoyed that when your little tiny brother is tagging along with you at this concert to see this muscled up dude and there's like this chick in a white dress and you don't you don't really know who to look at because they're all pretty good looking. You know, that's fine, but he still loves his brother throughout the whole movie. And Sam's fear of his brother just really it it makes sense. His brother's suddenly a vampire. It's kind of terrifying. But at the same time, it's like it's like he feels kind of betrayed. Like, how could you become a vampire? You know, like how, why would you do this to us? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like how are we supposed to hang out now but it's it, you also see how much sam loves his his family how much he cares about his brother how much he clings to him um and the way that he, you know he doesn't let the frog brothers just go and kill him he doesn't just grab a steak and he's like sorry bro he he really wants his brother to get better and he's also he, you know he tries his best to protect his his mom from oh that scary dog and i think if i had to pick a favorite it probably it probably would be Sam. I think he's the one that I always related the most to just because, you know, you go into a town, people are, are throwing vampire magazines, uh, vampire comics at you and you're kind of skeptical and then you buy it wholesale and it's like, okay, now we need to investigate more. I need to know more about this phenomenon and what we can do about it. Yeah. He's a cool, smart kid. I dig that. I like that Carla's sound effect for staking a vampire sounds oddly like a water balloon bursting. <laughs> well you know like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of liquid coming out of a vampire i I don't know if you've ever sucked a vampire but the last time i did it it sounded like a water balloon just like that i i didn't get the water balloon effect i'm maybe Uh, i'm staking the wrong vamps i i think you're staking them in the wrong place sasha i really think we need to go on a a hunt together because okay doing it wrong my mind yeah. is totally sorry totally different kinds of liquids but anyway <laughs> so sasha my general thoughts mirror a lot of what 
Carla said, like the whole family dynamic and just, you know, the mom coming home to her, her dad, like, and he makes the comment, like, you're the only woman I know who got divorced and didn't improve her situation. And it was like, he's got the sympathy for her. As far as the characters individually, I just watched it tonight again. I know this movie by heart and I love this movie. It's very near and dear. But it was funny because when I was watching it tonight, I'm like, God, Michael has no backbone. Like he's just blindly following this girl through the thing. And he's like, I'm going to buy the leather jacket. I'm going to pierce my ear and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It's like doing all the wrong things, buddy. But you do you. See how that works out for you. Oh, wait, it didn't. (laughs) That's right. And Sam is just, when the Frog Brothers are like, uh, the frozen yogurt shop went out of business. And then he turns around and schools them on the, what comics can go where. And, oh, well, you can't do this because this hasn't been introduced. And the Frog Brothers' faces are like, oh, snap. Boy knows what he's talking about, you know. So it was kind of cool to see him, like, own his nerd and embrace it and be accepted for it. So that was cool. Lucy's just the mom is just fantastic like she's just trying she just wants best for her boys when Sam is like freaking out because Michael's floating out he's coming to get me mom he's gonna get me and she's like I'm on my way and just books it and goes immediately to go rescue her boy and then is like you got scared by a comic book like I was on a date you know um but I think my favorite now current version of me uh grandpa because he is hands down like second shelf is mine do not touch it that's where i keep my double stuff oreos that's where all my snacks are don't touch my snacks my snacks are mine they're not for you i want my snacks and then um just the very everything he does is just so deadpan like going to see the widow johnson anything that smells like aftershave how about windex that'll work we'll slap some Windex on there like he's just such a goofy character but endearing at the same time you know so he's got that comedic but it's not like the comedic for comedic relief's sake it's just this weird I just I love his character and just the deadpan delivery at the end like oh damn vampires and everybody's just what you what how did it what so yeah and the yes. brothers, because none of you grew up with brothers, Carla, no brothers, sisters. Yeah, I grew up with a brother. Brothers, that's what boys do. Finger in the ear. And I'm the older sibling, but that there's something about boys and the finger in the ear and the finger like trying to go up your nose and just that. <clears throat> that is such a brother thing. <laughs> so Susie. I'm just gonna say like com- a complete d- ditto to it. Carla and Sasha have said. Um, I really like the f- the the dynamics shown with this family because it does feel very like realistic and kind of really personal. And you do get a sense that this family really does care for each other. Like it's evidenced in the fact that Lucy goes to seek out the support system that is her dad because she knows that even though she just went through this like what's what's is alluded to be like a really messy divorce that he's someone that she can come home to and feel supported and loved by and she like you can even see 
how good her relationship is with her kids too because even like when Sam calls her after after Michael vamps out for the first time he's like oh he's gonna come me. he's gonna come me. and she's like wait I'm coming and she just runs out of that restaurant no hesitation goes to him she's like you got scared by a comic like even when he's like okay oh there wasn't a vampire no it was just a scary comic that i read Uh uh-huh definitely not my brother turning into a vampire and trying to attack me uh and like even you can see even parts of their relationship later when she's going to sleep and he goes mom can i please sleep with you she tells him yeah yeah you can you're absolutely welcome to you even see how she deals with michael where where like she notices he's acting ruder and ruder and at a certain point when he comes home and she's on the porch and she tells him we're friends let's talk let's i just want to have a conversation with you so let's talk about your behavior <laughs> and it shows that like she is a mom that like really does love and care for her children but also with, with actions that she takes herself she also just wants to kind of find kind of like just get back out there maybe start dating again you know, and it's, I just, I really like their dynamic and like, especially with Michael and Sam, because they are brothers. Like you get a sense that they really are brothers. Like my personal favorite of the whole family, I'm just going to say this right out the gate is Sam, because he is just has like the funniest reactions to things and how he deals with stuff. Like when he comes across the mic and he goes, what'd you do to my dog, you asshole? <laughs> He's like, oh no, 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 baby. And he's like, oh, you wait till Ma finds out my own brother, a vampire. She's gonna be so mad. And that is, it is, it does feel like a very sibling thing to do. Like, just maybe not even be worried about the whole vampire thing. Just be like, ooh, Ma, when Mom finds out, she's gonna be so mad. You're gonna get in trouble. And Sam is just my favorite because he he's just so great at dealing with stuff. As I as I've mentioned before, like after Michael vamps out at him, he goes, okay, and he goes up to his room sh- with the dog and shuts the door, gets on the phone right away and calls the Frog Brothers. And he's like, so we have a situation. My brother's a vampire now. What do I do? <laughs> and even after, like when Michael's trying to get in, he calls his mom, like this kid knows what to do. He knows what's up. And it's, it's really fun to see a character like that. That's just like, I know how to handle things and I'm going to take care of stuff. I'm going to be ready. And mm-hmm. I just, I, I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think why we love this family is because they're so real. I mean, the situation they're in isn't real, but they're a very real family. They feel like they've, you know, you're watching these actors, but you feel like they've known each other for their whole entire lives and that they actually are family because of the way they interact is so natural and not forced and you don't have that, you know, tired old, like you said, Carla, the siblings not liking each other, that kind of tired old trope. It's very nice to have it not be that way. And, you know, you have the very nice scene between Sam and Michael when they're going to the cave and it's daylight. And Michael's like, you know, I won't, I probably won't be strong enough to protect you. You know, it's really dangerous. And Sam's like, well, this time I'll protect you, bro. And it's like this, it's this very nice, sweet thing where they really love each other. They get annoyed by each other, but they really deeply love each other. Like, even though Sam's terrified of his brother, he's still like, I'm not going to kill my brother. I love my brother. I want to help my brother. And, you know, he eventually lets him in the window and he 
all that kind of stuff. So it's a great, great natural dynamic. And the dynamic with the mom is nice too, because they do have that teenager thing in the beginning when they're, you know, when she's switching through the stations and she's listening to her 60s music and stuff. And they're like, change the channel. And it's so natural, but it's not done in this way where her sons don't respect her because they do. Even though they may get in little, you know, normal fights, they really love and respect their mom. And I really liked that and appreciated that. And watching, you know, when Sam does get into the bed with his mom when he's like scared, and it's such a natural thing, there doesn't it doesn't seem like something that like is forced. It doesn't seem like they don't have like that kind of dynamic already where they're very comfortable with each other and they're friends. There's the, you know, mother, there's the parent son relationship, but they're also friends. And I just really appreciated that. And the grandpa, you know, God, I wish I had a grandfather like the grandpa in here. Oh my gosh. He's so, I mean, no, I would not want the tax attorney stuff. No, thank you. But other than that, I think he's amazing and incredible. And once I'm done talking about my favorite, I just have a couple of trivia things I want to say. And one of them I'm going to share last and ask my panelists briefly to tell me if they believe this or not. It's hard for me to pick a favorite, really, honestly, because I love all four of them for very, very different reasons. Um, you know, Corey Haim said this was one of his most enjoyable experiences ever making a movie. And that comes through on screen. You can tell that he's having fun. And, you know, Corey Haim, you know, everybody knows his tragic story in Hollywood and how he was abused and treated horribly. And he's actually an amazing actor. I, I don't think he ever got the credit he deserved because he's a really, really talented actor. And it's just so sad that he didn't get to experience the joy of it. But I'm glad in a movie like this that he did get to experience that joy because this is like one of those like beautiful moments of watching him because he is so cool. And he's also like, you didn't see a lot of teenage boys like this where he's like, <laughs> I don't know how to describe He's like very, um, he's very comfortable in his skin even though he's in a different town, he's like very like comfortable. He's like, I'm fine with being a comic geek, but also dressing like I'm dressing and you're going to judge me by that. I'm comfortable having all these different posters in my room. I'm comfortable with this. I'm comfortable with also admitting that I have some fears like of horror comics. I won't read that. And so it's a very interesting kind of char male character to see on screen. And so I really appreciated that a lot. And I, I, love Jason Patrick. Jason Patrick is an actor that I think is, first of all, he's phenomenally talented. Go watch the movie Rush. If you don't think he's talented after that, holy crap, he should have been nominated for that. He's an incredibly talented actor who, if you don't know, um, his grandfather is Jackie Gleason, who was a horrible, awful human being. <laughs> so did not, like, basically didn't want to have anything to do with his kid and his grandkid nothing they were like they didn't grow up with a lot of money or anything like that there's a really interesting interview with him and Kiefer Sutherland um on um inside of you the podcast inside of you I don't know if my other panelists listened to it I sh did share it with them but I thought it was very interesting because Jason Patrick doesn't do a lot of interviews but anyway I think he is a phenomenal actor. I really like him. And I think he's absolutely gorgeous. He's very sexy in this movie because his voice, he's got a very sexy voice anyway. 
And yes, I agree. He does get led around a lot and he doesn't have a big back, a, a backbone. But I think part of that is I get the feeling for him, he's having to take on a different kind of responsibility because whether it's put on him or not, he is the oldest child and they no longer have their dad in the picture. And so he's almost put in this position of being a second parent in a way. And so I think the other side of him is like, well, I'm just going to go and try and have some fun if I can, but I'm also going to try. But I think he's kind of like in between still being a kid and then also being an adult or having to grow up faster. So I think that's a lot of where that's coming from and a lot of where his struggle comes from. Um, but I, but I love watching him and he's really, honestly, he's, he is my favorite character in this whole movie. I love Sam a lot too, but I would say Michael's probably my favorite in the whole movie. And I know I'm, I'm in the minority overall in the general fan thing of it, but I just really appreciate this character and I appreciate the performance and I appreciate that you get to watch someone struggling with a lot of stuff. And then on top of that, struggling with whether or not they're going to be a vampire, if they're going to be a killer, struggling with this new identity they might have and coming to terms with that and struggling to still be that person that they were before and to take care of their family when at the same time they're turning into something that they're not recognizing. They're experiencing this first love there might be other things going on as well. Um, so I don't, I, I just really appreciate him and the performance. Um, but I also wanted to share. Uh, so the movie wasn't originally supposed to end on that joke, by the way. I'm so glad it did. But it was supposed to, after the scene with the grandpa at the refrigerator, it was supposed to cut to the surviving lost boys regrouping in the sunken hotel. The last shot was of a mural on the wall made in the early 1900s with Max in it looking exactly the same as he did today. All of this appeared in an early draft of the script, but ultimately was never filmed. That would have been so stupid, honestly. <laughs> I do not like that ending, so I'm really glad that was next. And then this is what I'm going to ask my panelists. So there is a theory about this movie that Grandpa was actually a half vampire. And the root beer was actually animal blood due to his hobby as a taxidermist. So, do any of my panelists, <laughs> the looks on some of your faces, do any of my panelists think there's any validity to this theory? To this theory, I could buy that. I could totally buy that as a theory. Sasha. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sasha I could believe it too. Not. But I, I, I no, totally no, no, no. could buy that. Do not ruin my grandpa. <laughs> no but the thing is like i don't think him. he's ruined i think that that makes him even more interesting because he's living among he's living in this town where he has acknowledged that he knows that there are vampires and he's clearly not one of them because I mean, not one of them in, in the sense that he's not out there you know like biting people's heads and you know disturbing the peace at bonfires or ripping up cars, which is like, why would you do that? that? That just really seems a ridiculous waste of your time and strength. But who am I to judge vampires from the 1980s? But <laughs> he he has found if, if the if the way that he gets through it is with double stuffed Oreos and animal blood, that he gets ethically by doing taxidermy, I 
I think that's pretty cool. Like I would really enjoy that as a, um, as like a little side story that kind of went unacknowledged until Aaron just told us about it because other people apparently have been talking about it. Like I dig it. Sasha is not a fan. So I am not a fan of this. A vampires can't drink dead blood. So he couldn't well, you, be getting the, the blood from the mythology taxidermy. changes all the time. By what logic, Sasha? Are we going by supernatural logic? No, this by doesn't count. This is a different logic. world. This is, this, this, this is but new they, vampire logic, Sasha. Like, you know how like old vampire lore says they can't be around garlic? Guess what? These vampires can be around garlic. So there. Boom. They could. This movie has and, its own lore. And the Lost Boys didn't need to be invited. They just kind of like made their way through the chimney, like Santa. Yeah. And you know, like um, what's the name? Star came, to, came into the window. Yeah, yeah. But supposedly that's not how it's supposed to happen. But in their world, they, they decided, hey, it's <laughs> cool. Just, like, it's just like you if off. you invite them, no. then you have no power over them. And See, also, is, I don't. This think... is where I have problems with The Walking Dead too. Like the lore, like you got to stick with one lore. So if you're going to stick with the lore, then here's my counter argument: is that Max was invited into the house, and since he's the main vamp, by proxy, all of his baby vamps get to go in because Ooh. he has the ultimate control. But I still maintain they can't drink dead blood. Who would drink dead blood? Ew! <laughs> it's not dead. It's refrigerated. Grandpa. It's not like he's leaving it out to bake in the sun. <laughs> It has a degree of he, freshness. How do you think yes. blood banks work, Sasha? He pasteurized it and he pasteurized it. Yes, he, he, he pasteurized it. He put the, he went through a very important process. He has perfected the art of artisanal pasteurized artisanal pasteurized oh blood. He was planning on opening a bloodery. of juniper and... in this one. Yes, yeah. he was planning on opening a bloodery, but now that Max is dead, oh, now his bloodery. business is dead. So he's just going to keep doing the, the taxidermy thing. But extra bonus, now he can share his Oreos. Does he dip his Oreos in the blood, you think? That's between Grandpa and his Oreos. <laughs> That's between Grandpa and the double you. stuff. Yes. That's why he likes the double stuff, because his fangs break to the normal ones too easily. At least this that way is you can fight. See? Ooh. This is all adding up. <laughs> This is layers upon layers. I bet you, like, the widow is another half vampire, and they just, like, or maybe that maybe, maybe she's a widow for a reason. Remember when they made the joke, when Michael made the joke of, like, oh, ho, ho, did you stuff uh, Mrs. Johnson? And the grandpa was like, that's not funny, bro, because that was, that was grandpa's, like, one time where he just got a little carried away because he really needed to try the human blood and then he was like no more of this from now on i'm gonna taxidermy animals and collect their blood in my bathtub as one does when they're opening their own artisanal beverage company okay well (laughs) we're gonna move on now to the vampires (laughs) so other than grandpa we're gonna We've ruined Sasha. <laughs> I have so many sads. All the sads. Be so, happy. He was a he was a good guy vampire. Yeah, so this means he'll live forever. <laughs> on the vampire side, okay, we have um David, played by Kiefer Sutherland, who throughout the whole movie you think has to be the head vampire. 
when in actuality it's Max played by Edward Herman. Then you also have Jamie Gertz who plays Star and she's like a half vampire. She hasn't killed a human being yet. And then you have Paul played by Brooke McCarter. Then you have Billy Worth or no, you have Dwayne played by Billy Worth, excuse me. And then you have Marco played by Alex Winter. And then of course you have the young kid Laddie played by Chance Michael Corbett, who is also a half vampire as well, has not killed anyone. So in the lore, if you haven't killed a human being, then you can be changed back to being a human and not a vampire. So um, I wanna know, Carla, what are your overall thoughts on the vampires in the film? And do you have a favorite vampire other than grandpa? Well, okay. Let's just start with the, the fact that, all right, these vampires were like super sexy in a very 1980s dreamboat kind of way. You know, like they, they were like that, that, what's his name, Bender or whatever in um, yes. the Breakfast Club with the leather jacket and the, you know, just the whole look. And just what, when you think of, of bad boys centered in the 80s you have like that billy idol aesthetic um that you know that he stole from spike from buffy the vampire slayer <laughs> and the the I, I like the way that this is that it's uh brought into this movie and i like the the fact that even before he becomes a vampire michael is kind of really into this look and it's for a reason i mean these vampires um look like they don't care because they're wearing cow skin all over the place and nothing says i don't care like wearing leather i don't know i'm just making that up on the fly i don't know <laughs> it's i don't it's, know that's just they're saying anytime you're wearing leather just dress like you don't care wear some leather <laughs> <laughs> that's what the leather jackets are for they say i don't care no but it, in the i i think even now when we want to picture like a somebody who is very aloof and just um wants to keep you at a distance but it's also so alluring because oh they're bad it's leather it's a leather jacket you know it's it's like boots and it's um dyed hair and um this swagger that they have because when when they're and why were they on the carousel i i just why the carousel of all places just you know you're, you're kind of being silly but they're on the carousel and they're walking around among the horses and among the kids and then when they jump off and i remember from the first time that i watched the movie the way that Kiefer sutherland jumps off the carousel it's just so nonchalant like i don't even care that I could break my ankle right now i'm just gonna jump off and and that's because they don't have to care they they have really no consequences it's um the appeal and the allure or of um eternal youth where you're not beholden to any laws you're not beholden to any um, authority figures you can do whatever the hell you want because if anybody sasses you you can just chase them down in their parking lot to their car whose door won't open and it's okay because you can just rip it off the hinges anyway it's the the knowledge that that you never have to go to high school because you don't want to you can be high school age forever in your like best high school body and never have to sit in the classroom you know you're not edward carlin you don't have to like be in you know in in high school through your 100th birthday 
you're fine. It's okay. And they don't have to go anywhere because everybody's terrified of them. They're the predators there. If uh, if people are scared, they can leave. And yes, somehow this place is like overpopulated through the nose. I don't understand. But this little family, as it is, is um, it's it's thinly written, but it doesn't need to be very much more complicated. It's just they're young, they're beautiful, and they're young and beautiful forever. And they don't have to worry about never about not being that because they're not scared of anybody. They're not scared of growing up. They're not scared. That that's that that um that element of the Lost Boys from Peter Pan playing in here. They are in Never Neverland, and it, the Never Neverland is theirs for the taking. As far as as a, as a favorite, I mean, I was in love with Kiefer with Kiefer Sutherland with oh, this movie too. and with um, uh, what's it called? young guns i was in love with everybody from young guns but that's my problem not yours um it was my problem too (laughs) (laughs) but even even with that i I really the dark-haired vampire i was always like oh you're you're really hot i don't i don't know why like billy worth Mm -hmm. i guess like Dwayne. dwayne he there was just something about him like he he doesn't really have very many lines which i'm now thinking okay well that's because he wasn't that important a character but you know in my youth i was like oh he's so mysterious like no he just doesn't have very many lines so just for strictly for hot purposes he's my favorite (laughs) but only for hot purposes for hot purposes (laughs) yes uh so sasha bite me anytime Oh no, not there. Go south. No. <laughs> we are talking about vampires. Hey, yep. come on. I know. Um, we haven't recorded it yet, but I'm sure it's going to be worse when we talk about vampires and sexuality on Sunday. Oh, God, yeah. So. Oh, God, yeah. I'm sure it will. My favorite vamp is actually Dwayne Billy Worth's character because I love Billy Worth. And he's hot, like, incredibly hot. Yes. But yeah, I I love him. All of the vamps, I agree, they all have that very 80. It's this whole movie is so 80s. Everything about it is 80s. It just screams 1980s. It's a time capsule. But they are the bad boys. They are the, you know, the rocker boys, the leather boys, the I've got the motorcycle. The danger appeal of them is the whole shtick that they got going on and Hook, line, sinker. Love it. Love it all. Down for it all. All of the even with those awful mullets, it doesn't matter. They're just so hot. They're just, they're just hot. And it was very eighties. It's the way that it works. Um, but yeah, Billy Worth is definitely. I mean, just look at him. He's just. So now here's my question for the rest of you: Did you ever see the movie War Party, which is the next movie he was in after this one? No. no see nobody has seen this movie you can't find this damn movie it's impossible um it's him and kevin dylan oh kevin dylan they're on a reservation so they're it, the whole thing is they're on a reservation and it's the like reenactment thing that's happening and of course it's you know very not pc and a white dude in the reenactment has an actual bullet and kills shoots one of 
the other guys and apparently they broke into a museum i'm trying to remember it now and stole a ceremonial hatchet i think it becomes this whole big thing and so now the boys are on the run the native boys are on the run and he plays one of the native boys it is a beautiful tragic story but it's 1988 called war party and it's damn near impossible to find and nobody's heard of the movie and i love it so there you go but billy worth all the way swoon swoon all the swoon and i really liked um star i like jamie gertz's character but i think that has to do with i have the same hair she has and so it was nice to see somebody who's got like that kind of curly but not curly but more than wavy but not like untamed lion's mane that just happens and especially when it's humid and it just gets exponentially bigger and curlier and you just can't do anything about it and her hair is my hair so I feel that like huh somebody else has it only hers looks better because (laughs) I just I just can't with mine there you go that was a weird bizarre tangent but I'm going to maintain Billy Worth well it is the tall dark handsome thing that's yeah mm-hmm. yeah you know, the dark hair and that yeah and... looking at his picture i can see why you'd want to get sucked off by him <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so silly <laughs> on that note, yes. is, is that your favorite then too? he is not my favorite i'm sad to disappoint that's your report. Okay. No. It's okay, Sasha and I can can you know. Yeah, you can you can fight for him amongst yourself. We got him. <laughs> it's okay. We got him. <laughs> okay, great. Hold down the fort on that end. My okay, so I just want to get into like a little thing that I've noticed in more recent viewings about like the vampire crew is that like all our talk about sibling relationships. One kind of sibling relationship that I noticed among the vampires was that that star has with Laddie. Like how much she cares for him mm-hmm. and I, I just think that's like really sweet like you don't get to see like a lot of people you do see you do see that like she really does care for him even though they're both basically like the bait that the rest of the vampires use to get to get meals but I just thought that was really sweet but my personal favorite vampire is this is purely superficial is Marco, who's played by Alex Winter, and this he's the one vampire that has like that god awful blonde perm. Oh, like, yeah, the really hair. curly one. <laughs> but the reason why I like him is that gosh darn jacket. That battle jacket is so freaking pretty. That is a work of art. And I also like that it gives you like a hint as to how long he's been alive because amassing that many patches and attaching them all to that jacket would have taken him years and that thing is just <laughs> gorgeous and it's got, it's got all these different patches on it and tassels and everything and it's shiny and pretty it's a work of art he's so, been alive long enough to master the art of the needle yeah <laughs> just to like attach all these because listen friend do you know how long it takes to sew on a patch hand sew on a patch to a jacket it takes some time especially if said patch has like the iron adhesive on the back that you don't want to use because that sucks because it wears off after a while and it doesn't <laughs> do any good so it's better to just sew the darn thing off yourself i will take your word for it <laughs> well i i mean i i agree with that with the, the looks wise with, with 
Billy Worth, but David is my favorite. I mean, I'm not gonna, I mean, come, I mean, Kiefer Sutherland is something else. He was, he was something in the 80s. He really mastered the art of playing the bad boy, but also adding like this element of pure sex appeal. So he's so flipping sexy. He's so good at playing the bad boy um, and also making you really want the bad boy. And so he's the perfect vampire character. And I don't usually, you know, go for blondes that much, but Kiefer is one of those exceptions because he's just, and he still is a gorgeous man. And I do wonder if he still is not smoking because he's been smoking basically his whole life. And he just recently quit when he listened to that interview, when I listened to that interview and he was talking about that, but you know, so hopefully fingers crossed he has, but, but he just has this thing about him where he's like, oh, oh my God, he would be, you just feel like you'd have so much fun with him and he'd be a little bit rough, but in a good way. And I mean, he's just so, I just, I, and he is very, um, he flirts with everybody. He's like just pure sex. He's just pure sex. He represents what vampires, vampires are so much about sex and they represent so much of that. And he is such the poster boy for that. And I just, I really just like him a lot in this movie. And I like the performance a lot and I can't imagine anyone else playing it. And, you know, I also think um, Kiefer added something to this. There's, there's a scene, you know, when they go into, when they go to the cave and they kill one of the vampires and he kind of is going out there and he burns his hand a little bit and you see him and he's crying. Like he's got tears in his eyes and it's this emotion there that you hadn't seen yet. And this vulnerability and this anger and this hurt because that's his family. Uh, you know, no matter what, that's his family. Those are his brothers. So it's like a member of his family has died. And he was supposed to protect them. I think there's also that part to it, too. So it's this brief moment where you see that whole, you know, that whole shroud of like, he's this powerful vampire who doesn't give a fuck. And that kind of just dissipates. And he has a little bit of vulnerability there. And yes, part of it's probably from pain. But there's also that emotional pain there. And I think it's such a cool little scene to add in there you know it gives such a different dynamic to that character and I wonder often if that was in the script or if that just happened by chance because I just thought that was a really interesting little scene there uh, and I want to just um, quickly say uh, with the merry-go-round scene um, and there's two little things with the vampires so the merry-go-round sequence foreshadows the order in which the lost boys die so you have Marco dies first Paul second, Dwayne third, and then David last. And that's the order you see him in. And then the order that the vampire boys jump off the bridge is also the same order that they're killed. So just two little interesting facts there. Uh, and then with Jamie Gertz with Star, I wanted her wardrobe. That was the thing is that I know when we did Back to the Future, we talked about how when we were kids, 50s was a big thing. Well, so were the 60s. The 60s were also a thing that when you were a teen, or a young kid in the 80s, you like really loved the 60s. It was, <laughs> it was this weird, like all the fashion came back, the music, everything like that. And she dressed very much like how I wanted to dress. So I really liked her a lot just because she had that laid back hippie-ish bohemian kind of style. So I really, really, really liked that part of her. I do think she is probably the most underdeveloped character 
I mean, yes, there are some of the other vampires that are underdeveloped, but of the main characters, she's the most underdeveloped and underutilized. And, you know, it probably is because they could only develop one of the female characters. And so I couldn't do it too. I will say that. I mean, I don't, I don't have too much critiques of this movie because this movie holds such a special place in my heart, but I will say it is very, very glaring. The older you get how underdeveloped she is as a character. And then for, uh, for Max, you know, I always thought that was such a great little twist in this and it's completely hinted at throughout throughout the whole movie. And when you watch it older, when you're older, I think you kind of go, Oh, it's kind of pretty blatantly obvious. Um, but I always liked that. I thought that was really an interesting thing to have that happen. So it's also like where usually like the parents are the last to know and the parents won't have anything to do it. And, and, you know, Lucy would have been just kind of like this back burner thing. She's very essential to the whole story in the end. And I thought that was, that was interesting too. And then grandpa's a great vampire too. (laughs) Sorry, Sasha. (laughs) He's my favorite now. Well, at least he doesn't have any chandeliers. Does, no, he does have a chandelier. Doesn't he? Yes, he does have a chandelier. Sorry. Uh, I think it's made out of, like, antlers, which makes it yes. even more terrifying. <laughs> Maybe he is a vampire. Shit. See? Shit. Sasha's world has just crumbled. I've just broken her heart. Oh, there's my nightmare for <laughs> tonight. Thanks for strange that. When they have chandeliers <laughs> made of antlers <laughs> in their homes. And there's the theme song for my nightmare tonight. <laughs> so let's talk about the Frog Brothers. We've got Edgar Frog played by Corey Feldman and then Alan Frog played by Jameson Newlander. So Carla, what are your thoughts on them? Do you have a favorite among the two? I mean, the, for me, the clear favorite is, um, is Edgar because Corey Feldman for all of his issues and for all of his difficulties was one of the, the the biggest kid stars of the 80s for a reason he is so charismatic he is so entertaining and you just when he's on the screen like you're watching him even though he's such a minor character in the grand scheme of things he edgar really kind of um takes over your attention and like I honestly forgot that there was another frog brother. <laughs> because, you know, it's like Alan is just so underwhelming in comparison that even though they they play off well, um, they play well off of each other, it's more like certain actors who play brothers where one carries the relationship in the duo as far as acting is concerned. I, I, I love how geeky they are. I love how absolutely hapless they are. They are very knowledgeable and they somehow they know what they're doing. Like you got to wonder how many vampires they killed before this, that they feel so confident and so sure and that they know a lot of things, but there's also like plenty that they don't know. Like, oh, garlic doesn't actually work. You know, the whole they know not to invite a vampire into your home, but they don't get why until Max like lays it out for them, which is going to be very helpful in Lost Boys. Lost Boys too. I don't know, whatever. Um, I see it so because there is video sequels. But I I I love all of the lore that they bring in, 
as side characters. I, I like it when Laura is brought in from the side as, as opposed to you being assaulted with a lot of exposition. And I really like that that they have like this grudging respect for Sam in the beginning. And then they're like, okay, he's one of us. Just like what Michael has these people who are saying he's one of us now, you know, like you're one of us. Sam also has somebody saying that to him for very different reasons. I, I like their eagerness to help. Their bloodlust is enthralling. Like, wow, you guys are just really, really stabby. You know, like, okay. The the most hilarious scene to me is when um, the dog pushes the vampire into the bathtub and then doesn't just dissolve, but like dissolves in layers. So it's like, okay, like, oh, he's dead. And then he rises up again and oh my God, he's dead again. Oh, oh, well, oh, now it's a skeleton. And then like, there's so much liquid. The house floods like there's not that much liquid in the tub and there's not that much liquid in the human body really to flood the house like that just throwing that in there because it was hilarious like i just couldn't stop laughing at that scene maybe he was rabid <laughs> <laughs> that's gotta be it that's the explanation that's the explanation i'm going with forever now thank you yes i i accept it i accept it but yeah I, they're, they're just they're great comic relief so sasha i agree with the comic relief they're just i love their enthusiasm and i love their almost it's like bordering on ineptitude in their knowledge like they have all of the fundamental knowledge but their execution is never on the mark you know i love when they run in and they're loading up the squirt guns and the canteens and everything with the holy water. And then they go to the lair and they're ready. And they're like, okay, check me. Do I have everything? And they both turn around. Like who's, who's checking who, what are we doing here, guys? Who's what's happening? The scene with the bathtub is probably one of my favorites when they're talking about it after like, yeah, we totally took out that guy. Well, all right. So Nanook really helped. Nanook helped. Nanook did the killing. Like, let's be clear. Like, did they kill anybody? Mm-mm. And then the very end, like, how much do you think we should charge them for this? Are you kidding me? Their house is destroyed. I just, I adore them as a duo. I do agree that uh, the other brother is only there so they could say the frog brothers. Because if it was just one frog, it's not as funny. <laughs> so. Yes. They needed it to be frog brothers. Or just the frog dude doesn't really work that well. No. Uh, Susie? Well, just off the bat, my favorite frog brother is Poe. <laughs> the unspoken hero. <laughs> he's the one in, in the computer room. Yeah, he's on into things. Yeah, like getting <laughs> and re- rerouting um, signals. Yeah. Gonna bounce it off the satellite. He's the one. Like that, you don't know how much that drove me crazy, how much that does drive me crazy. It's like Edgar Allen, and I'm like, where's Poe? Where is because that's what they're named after too. I've just made like a head. I know, and in my head, I've just made this head cannon that there is a third. (laughs) There is a third frog brother, and he's off at like summer camp or something to beef up his vampire hunting skills. He's at the Van Helsing summer camp for kids. Yeah, (laughs) learning all the new methods. If they had, if they had named them Pope, even. Oh, Edgar right. and Pope. They went with frogs, though. Whatever. 
Well, yeah. Let me rewrite this movie for you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> the one edit I would make. Just like, <laughs> just the third brother. He's off at Van Helsing summer camp. We're going to see him back when school starts up. It's going to be great. Yeah. That's the, that's the spinoff series I want. Uh, no, that's what Laddie becomes. Laddie becomes the third, the third brother. He becomes Poe. Oh my gosh. They it. adopt oh him and they rename him. I don't want to be called Laddie anymore. That's a ridiculous name. How about uh, Poe? Poe, that has a nice ring to it. You want to run with vampires? Yeah. Come on, Poe, let's go home. No, but like the Frog Brothers are really great at being like, um, as being this kind of like exposition, but also being really capable and like in some ways being like, okay, this is, I just, I just really want to know how they know all this information and how they came to know this information because they're like, vampires there's vampires in this town i'm like yeah but how did you guys learn that because your parents seem really out of it and i don't think you might have gotten this knowledge from them no hate just kind of stayed in facts out here friend <laughs> so how did these kids find out i want to know there's like a but, lot of really free-range parenting going on yeah. in santa carla <laughs> yes <laughs> so much free range one thing that i did find like a little bit Look, it was the 80s of- it was True. all free range in the eighties. It was, it was, it very much was. <laughs> Let's keep vampires. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing that I've noticed a lot in in every viewing is that like um, Edgar sounds like he's doing an impression of Sylvester Stallone in his Rambo. Yeah, because he was told to. That's why he was. Oh, told he was told to. to? Yes, okay, yeah. I didn't know that piece. Like I didn't know that piece of info, so I was just like, "This seems very Sylvesterish." And then, if you were going to have him play Sylvester, why not have like Alan play like Schwarzenegger or something, and just have like the two, the two. <laughs> they go. Why does your brother have an accent? I don't know. He went off to like Schwarzenegger summer camp, so that's <laughs> that's what he came back with. <laughs> Yeah, because he was because Corey Feldman was told to play him like a combination of all of those kind of characters of Rambo and all those mm-hmm. other characters from that time. So that's why. So it was a very much a purposeful thing. So, okay, I am not going to be very popular for my opinions on the Frog Brothers. This is the most annoying part of this movie for me. I will be honest. Uh, I think when I was younger, it didn't annoy me as. <laughs> I am done with you. Okay, here's the thing. I, when I was younger, you know, you always had the two Corys and who's the better Corey. And I never, ever would have picked Corey Feldman. Corey Haim was always, to me, the better Corey because Corey Feldman used to annoy the, like, I could not stand watching him. I actually was the opposite. I was like, oh my gosh, until it was the movie Dream a Little Dream, which I actually was, um, I guess, on a podcast it's not that bad defending this movie that everybody hates is at a zero percent of Rotten Tomatoes uh but I actually really love him in that but before then I actually really had a hard time watching him on screen so I'll be honest I that's a lot of the reason I don't like the Frog Brothers so I'm sorry I know my panelists hate me now and probably everybody listening hates me now but I actually like Alan better because he's not as annoying as <laughs> Excuse me, I'm gonna go and just take my name off all of the episodes that I signed up for okay, for the rest bye. of the year okay. and forevermore. Forevermore. <laughs> no, I mean, 
whatever and also the allegations that have come to light recently about Corey Feldman doesn't really endear me to him anyway but the the um the idea of Corey Feldman that I had in the 80s watching his movies is what I really think about when I talk about this character well I'm not Not just you hate him I'm not thinking about those allegations when I'm mentioning this. This is when I was a young kid, I thought that he was, I, I wasn't a fan. I wasn't big into the Corys. I, but if I had to, but then I became big into Corey Haim, but I wasn't big into Corey Feldman. So it's, this is, has nothing to do with that. This is just preference. I just have never really been a fan. <laughs> I mean, I, I like him. I like him better in like um, Stand By Me, but even in that, he's my least favorite character in Stand By Me. So <laughs> I'm sorry, but <laughs> Carla just doesn't want to talk to me anymore. So first, <laughs> first we piss off Sasha with the grandpa and then I piss off everybody with this bit of thing. But yes, yeah, so that's all I have to say. So we'll move on now before everybody, hate, everybody already hates me, but, <laughs> but it was, I was always that way until dream a little dream and then that changed and then i really liked Corey feldman and then i loved them both in that stupid movie um license to drive remember that movie god i loved that movie he <laughs> was so awful <laughs> but man i loved that movie anyway so <laughs> okay so let's talk about the homoerotic undertones of this movie and this is the case in a lot of vampire movies and vampire lore in general you do have it with David and Michael for sure. I mean, like a lot. Uh, but the other thing, and I just wanted to give a little bit that I saw this on IMDb with the trivia too, is a lot of people also find it with Sam. I'll be curious to hear everybody's thoughts on this, but Sam has a poster of Rob Lowe on the outside of his closet door. On the DVD commentary, Joel Schumacher says that it was there because he had recently directed Lowe in St. Elmo's Fire from 1985. The poster has sparked years of debate about whether or not Schumacher, as an openly gay man, was making a subtextual statement about Sam's sexuality by putting a picture of a male heartthrob on his closet, a reference to being in the closet. Schumacher also has Sam wearing an ear stud, riding a pink bicycle, and being more fashion conscious than any other character. So some of these are very stereotype things, but but uh, but yeah. So that's another part. So Carla, what do you think about the the undertones in here and everything? For the longest time, I didn't see it because I mean it, it's it just comes down to the fact that they have the movie end with Michael and star embracing and you know they've they've done it and stuff and you know she's the one who who lured him into this dark world and everything so i i didn't see it because that's all of that stuff is you know whatever and i guess i just didn't really see very much homoerotic uh not context um subtext in anything because i was very uh shelter from any ideas about you know people who who don't like you know you know like the, the men who don't like women and the women who don't like men <gasps> shocking stuff you know from somebody who went to catholic school her whole life i know you're you're just about to fall off your chair but 
um, in more recent viewings and with more exposure to more media, especially to media where um, things have to be subtextual in order to be aired or to be published or to be projected anywhere. It's like, okay, I see it now. I get it. But it, it was something that was, it didn't just show up naturally in my eyes. It had to be kind of explained to me. And the one place where that's an exception, where I was like, hey, what's going on here? Was when Michael and and Lucy are having that talk, or rather she's trying to have a talk with him. Because that's the one point where it seemed kind of like what's going on here to me, not really understanding more deeply what I was questioning, but what is she trying to get him to say? What is she trying to um, kind of hint at that she she wants him to say to her? And that was a question that because I didn't have the vocabulary for it or the context or just more anything for it, it it did stand out for me, but it's not until I heard or read about everything else that I was like, okay, so this to me, that's what I'm understanding now, what that felt like to me. This is a mother trying to have a conversation with her son about how he is um, behaving differently than she's used to. And she has some inkling of why but she can't really get him to just come out and say it. The, you know, the problematic elements that people point out where Sam is trying to out Michael to his mother and where he's terrified there, that his brother has been lost to the to this dark world and um, where he's scared that his, that his brother's going to turn him. Again, not really having paid attention to that in that way or understanding in that way it was a very long time before it made sense to me why why people picked up on that and why it's problematic but again you know now I see it now I get it but yeah like for somebody like me who just doesn't really get things sometimes especially at that age where I was just looking for escapism in a world where just odd people are being accepted by other odd people it just didn't click you know um but i'm glad that that uh there has been so much great um so many great reviews and so much attention paid to it by people who are not as <laughs> uh who were not as sheltered and dense as me but yeah, like the, the the one thing where, yeah, it was that 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 scene with the mother, and I, I, again, a lot of my not getting it does come from the um, the heterosexualization of it by making Star the lore, and by making her the focal point for for Michael's attachment at the end and his re- his rejection of David also kind of clouded that for me because he goes from um from being transfixed by david and by the lost boys and from just trying to prove himself to david for god knows what reason to it being all about star and rescuing star and so yeah it it just it was hard for me to kind of grasp that 
with my little, you know, 12, 13 year old brain. I, again, a lot of Jesus Christ Superstar in my life at that time. So, you know, I got to meet the cast of, um, and go backstage here in Denver at the Denver Buell Theater when I was in high school of a performance of Jesus Christ Superstar Carla. It was amazing. Sorry, <laughs> I thought you would appreciate it. <laughs> Did you meet Carl Anderson? No, this wasn't that guy. No. Oh, no. Sorry. Okay. Didn't mean because if, if you had, then I, I would just have to cry right now. No, no, it was it was a touring, but it wasn't. No, but yeah, but that was that was an incredible. Experience. I saw it live with um, Sebastian Bach from Skid Row. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was a matinee performance and you could tell that he was treating it like a matinee performance. But Carl Anderson he he did his thing anyway when when, when we have a uh and it's a fandom thing episode about jesus christ superstar I, i'll tell you more about my feelings yes yes but i just wanted i kept meaning to throw that in there when you mentioned it earlier but um so uh, sasha what are your thoughts i think this is one of those cases where i saw this movie too young to notice much of anything um beyond the head peeling <laughs> that was occurring um <laughs> so beyond that and the fact that billy worth is hot i think i missed just because i saw it too young so it wasn't even a like it didn't register for me and that could be like you know the, i just too young i don't know i'm not i don't know how else to express that appropriately like i i was just way too young so I think I missed a lot of those undertones and the subtext and then watching it later because it is a childhood nostalgic movie it's it's one of those ones where I'm like I refuse to see any flaws or problems or any tropes in it that exist because it's so near and dear that I'm like no there's nothing wrong with this film not a thing so there's problems but I just you know um I did tonight when I watched it for some reason the earring situation really struck me when um Sam was like lose the earring Michael it's not a good look for you but he turns and he has an earring and it's like you what what is going on <laughs> and I know that that was a very like I I hear the earring thing was very intentional I do remember one of the 575, 8 million times I rewatched it, seeing the poster and going, huh, okay. And I moved right on. Like it didn't even, there was a thought, but it never came to completion for me. And I, I really do blame the fact that I saw it far too young and it's just ingrained into my brain that, so I, I missed them all. So I'm just going to skip this whole thing. Okay. <laughs> So Susie. Well, breakfast, the only thing that I can say about this is I remember uh, like it did this the whole sexuality thing didn't really register much to me either as kind of like a preteen because it was just very much for me it was mainly just like, ooh, vampires. Ooh, vampires with blood that glitters. Yeah. And you know, stuff like that. And and you just you don't things like maybe implied sexuality just kind of like fly past your head and that can even be the case when you're a little bit older and you rewatch these films and 
they can still fly past your head because you're just so kind of like desensitized to the movie that you, you don't really think you're not really going in there with like a mind to like really read into anything you're just kind of watching a movie to watch it or just watching a movie to have it on as like some sort of soothing background noise and in a way it doesn't really register to you and but I do I do remember one point when things did start to kind of like maybe click together a little bit more for me was um on one of my rewatches I remember being like why don't David and Michael just kiss the tension is there <laughs> Like, like I'm and again, this could also just be due to the fact to how like poorly written Star is, but and just because like you see way more chemistry between between Michael and David than you do with with him and Star, and so you just you just you just go. This makes this equals to much better than that does. Maybe we go with this math equation. This makes a little more sense. But I don't know. I feel like it's something a little bit more, a little bit more hard to discuss since it's not something I, I ever really paid much attention to, which is funny considering how, like, I think the last Disney movie I talked about was Labyrinth, where it was like all about the bully bulge. <laughs> yes. That was just, <laughs> that's true. It was there, it was <laughs> present. Well, I think, you know, I, I, you know, there, there are harmful aspects to it where of course you are, you know, if you're looking at it, you're watching this character, Michael struggling with his sexuality. If you want to look at what the undertones are and it's really, really there. If you really examine it, I mean, there's scenes like even him struggling with his, with the bloodlust to me is more him struggling with that part because uh, you know the scene where and and I don't I don't I'm not trying to say that he at all like desires his brother I'm not at all saying that but the scene where he almost is going to kill his brother just the look on his face and the anguish there and the fighting that there is a lot of other stuff going on there um it's not just fighting the urge to kill it's like fighting this other urge inside of him uh when he first drinks the blood that's very much to me kind of like it's symbolizing the first step in, you know, are you going to go with David or are you going to go with star? Are you going to pick the guy? Are you going to pick the girl kind of thing? Um, so he is literally consuming a part of David. He's literally taking in a part of David into himself and he's becoming a part of David. And David is so overtly sexual with Michael. When you watch this, as an when you watch this when you're not I mean I didn't really I didn't pick up on this stuff at all when I was young but when you watch this as an adult you see that that David is very much um he doesn't he never pays attention to star like he does to Michael never I mean yes he does have her get on the back of his bicycle but it's more as a way of making Michael envious of wanting to be with David and not necessarily even wanting to be with star even though when you're young it plays that way but it's because david is so laser focused on michael the whole time like his eyes are on him he's challenging him to the bike ride and there's so much under there's an undercurrent there of like i'm challenging you to see 
you know, how far I can push you. When will you give in? When will you, the kissing thing. I mean, when they fight at the end, that is so sexually charged. I mean, there's a lot of like real big sexual energy. And Jason Patrick and Kiefer Sutherland, who are really, really good friends in real life, they had amazing chemistry. They had better chemistry than Jason Patrick and Jamie Gertz for sure. And a lot of that also is the character not being developed. But it's really there. And you see that struggle and um and yeah, the conversation with his mom. And then you do have the bad side of it where Sam is afraid of him and doesn't want him in there. But you could also look at it, but then eventually he does let his brother in. And you know, I I don't know. I mean there are some bad aspects to it, but I also don't necessarily even think of it as totally awful the way it is done in here. I just think it's really interesting because so many kids saw this. This was really marketed to teens. This wasn't marketed to like adults. This was marketed to teens and young kids. And so I don't know how many of them picked up on it, but of course people did because there's this has been discussed forever and whenever they talk about um, any kind of uh, representation in horror, any queer horror representation, um, which there's a great docu-series right now on Shudder about the history of queer horror. Um, and I'm sure they're going to touch on this movie because I'm sure they're going to touch on vampires. But whenever you have, I mean, they already did a little bit, but whenever you have that, um, whenever you, sorry, whenever that's discussed, this movie is mentioned so yeah but i do think when you're a young kid you didn't notice it but i just think it's important to 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 acknowledge it or at least to have brought it up but um but yeah those there there's just so many things in it where you see this real struggle i didn't really get it with sam um because you know when i was young i did think it was like what why does he have a picture of rob Lowe? when i was young i was like that's weird that he has that but then he also has like he has Molly Ringwald and he has other ones too. And I just I didn't think anything of it. So yeah. And and I think when they're talking about that with him, it plays into some other kind of stereotypes, <laughs> like saying I, I with the pink bicycle and bringing that up kind of thing and the fashion thing. So yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so we I want to round out the part of just talking about Lost Boys was talking about the music because I think with a lot of 80s movies, you it's very hard to talk about the movie without talking about the music um, and little behind the scenes thing. And I should have recorded it because it was amazing because Susie had like a play saxophone. But when I had everybody come in, I was originally sharing my screen and sharing the audio and we were listening to the soundtrack. And the soundtrack, of course, features some songs from NXS, Lou Graham, Gerald McMahon did the Cry, Li Cry Little Sister, the theme song, which trivia on that was um, he wrote the theme song to the movie after only reading the script and without ever seeing a frame of the film. We had a poll on Twitter and on Instagram what your favorite song was and the choices were Cry Little Sister. I still believe, which of course is really known because that's the... That's Carla's favorite scene in the movie when you have the saxophone players all oiled up and playing this song. <laughs> and of course, we already talked about um, People Are Strange, the People Are Strange cover. 
but cry little sister was the favorite of everybody so what i want to know is what are your general thoughts on the mu music do you have his favorite song i mean i know it's still believe i still believe but other than i still believe carla <laughs> oh my god the bullying i am the taking bullying. today <laughs> just listen listeners I am not as much of a fan of this. I still believe nonsense. I still believe that I'm not a fan of. I still believe. Um, Aaron just keeps trying to shove saxophones <laughs> in my face. Unsolicited saxophones. She has sent me unsolicited saxophone pics. Susie is unsolicitedly pointing the the pointy end, the mouth end of the saxophone at Whoa. my face. Like I feel so harassed. Um, but. Now the opening, Susie, really? My goodness, censor your porn, man. With with a lot of, of movies that have great soundtracks, I love listening to them while I'm watching the movie. And I'm like, wow, this movie has such an amazing soundtrack. I should totally buy it and listen to it over and over again. And then I'm like, I'm not actually that interested. Like, it, it's the kind of thing where I have to be in the movie like the things have to be happening in the movie for me to really get into it but it is absolutely a great soundtrack with just a bunch of great songs um but for me the, the one that just really stuck out was people are strange because again i hadn't really heard the doors music uh you know in the way back whens we had an oldie station here in florida magic 102.7 and at that point in time in the 80s they were playing they were playing movie music from the 40s 50s and 60s so they did play some music by the doors but it was mostly just you know like love me two times and um uh light my fire people are strange never came up so when i when i first heard it again just like a thunderbolt in my brain um and i was you, you know when you listen to something and you're like, wow, this is the definitive version, right? Because it's the version that I heard. And then you hear it and it's like, no, this is a cover. And here's the original. And you're like, the hell is this? Mm -hmm. You know, like, this is not the version I heard. Therefore, it's less pure, even though they're the original artist. But no, no, this one just catapulted me into a, an obsession with the doors. <laughs> so, Sasha. My favorite song is Lost in the Shadows the Lou Graham one, um, mostly because it's the motorcycle scene. <laughs> and I love me a motorcycle. Uh, I absolutely love that song. I think, I know that, you know, Cry Little Sister is the one that everybody always thinks of. But for me, it's Lost in the Shadows is the one that is tops. Yeah, you missed it, Carla, but Sasha was really jamming out to that one. Because Sasha came in right at the beginning when I had first started so Sasha and I were jamming out and then Susie came in. And so <laughs> so. I missed the party. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was like, Carla, get in here. <laughs> so Susie. Oh, see, it's it's kind of. It's kind of a tie because I really like people are strange because um, for some like in a really odd way, that song to me kind of feels like a like a nice hug or, or like a warm blanket it just it just feels comfortable <laughs> but 
from the but but also I just I really love <laughs> Carla's gonna hate me. I really like I still believe I do too. I love that because <laughs> just like everyone in that audience is just jamming and having the time of their lives. And Tim is just in all his glistening glory, just gyrating on stage and just have just doing his best. It's just so entertaining. That's that's what like that is literally one of my favorite scenes in the movie because everyone's just having a ball and I love it. Yeah, I I'm with you, Susie. I'm with you, Susie. It's not my favorite song, but it's one of my favorites. I yes, everything. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think it's I think it's fun. Uh, my favorite is Cry Little Sister. I know it's the, and and People Are Strange is my second favorite. They're kind of, you know, tied because I love The Doors and I love Echo and the Bunnymen and I love the ver- their version of it. Um, I think it is, I think they make it their own, but they, uh, but it's also so clearly The Doors too. So I really appreciate that. But Cry Little Sister, when I listen to it now, I kind of laugh at how intense I thought this song was when I was younger. I was like, this is like that. Oh my gosh, you're just feeling it in your soul. And when you want to just get your angst out, this is the song. <laughs> and now I listen to it, I'm like, this is kind of cheesy, but I still <laughs> but I still love it. I still love it. I can still sing every word to it. I still can sing at the top of my lungs. So yes, I'm I'm a big fan of this soundtrack in general. Like I said, I wore out my tape. I just, oh my gosh, I just the music in this was just perfection. I think that was what was really special about uh, the eighties. And I think the nineties too, but was the music. I mean, I'm not saying there aren't great scores and great soundtracks now, but there was something special about it back then. I don't know why, but it's probably because I grew up then, (laughs) but it just holds a special place in my heart. And yeah. And, and our station here, Carla was cool is, and it still is now they play eighties music. So now I listen to it for that is cool. One Oh five. That was our I station. Wish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah ours I plays 2.7 is gone. Oh yeah. Ours is still around, but now it's just, I mean, they'll also play some of the seventies and other stuff, but now it's mainly the eighties, which is awesome. <laughs> Except for the part where it's like oldies. So yeah, this that is how my is this is how awesome. my mother felt when I was listening to her music and being like, "Oh, listen to the oldie station with me, mom." Yeah, it's it's like it's when, like when you hear it in the grocery store or an elevator as music, and you go, "What?" I'm pretty sure that's a Guns N' Roses song. <laughs> yes, <laughs> music, or like oh. on classic rock stations when they start playing Nirvana or Nine Inch Nails, and I'm like, what the, the first time I heard Bon Jovi on the classic rock station, I was ready to riot. I was like, this this song came out five years ago. What are you doing? And it's like living on a prayer. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. You'll get there someday, Susie. <laughs> oh, no, I'm already there. Listen, listen. The first time I heard My Chemical Romance on an oldie station, I was ready to fight people. I was like, who's, who's just committed this crime? Who's did this? I'm going to bite you. I don't know who you are, but you're getting bitten. <laughs> My friend called it uh, that Chihuahua energy, which is very true. <laughs> well, on that note, we're going to move on to six degrees of Finn Whitrock. I am assuming Susie is playing. Susie is a member of my Finn crew, so she's the only one, although she did let me down a while ago. I think it was you. It was one of you let me down a while ago. 
Uh, but any member of my Finn crew is required to play this. I say others are not, but my Finn crew is. And I do realize it is October and I still haven't found the music that's on me. Maybe we'll just have to have Carla sing it a cappella at some point. So if, if I'm putting Carla on the spot here, but if you have any line from it you want to say as we, as I move to, did you, you found one, right, Sasha? As I move to Sasha first. So do, did you have a line you want to throw there, Carla? It's not fantastic. It's fantastic. And yes, there it is, Finn. It's fantastic. So... <laughs> Sounds like a laundry detergent ad. <laughs> when you want your clothes clean, get some fin. Get some fin for your laundry. It's not fanta- fantastic. It's fantastic. And then you hear it ding. That's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> yes, we, we love you, Finn. So, so now we have created a new product for you that if you ever need any additional money... <laughs> And I'm sure you'll make it environmentally friendly since that's your, you, you, you are very pro environment, which I don't know why anyone is not pro environment, but there are people that aren't. But anyway, Sasha, how did you connect our lovely vice unofficial mascot, Finn Whitrock, to the Lost Boys? Um, so I started with the oiled up sax player is where <laughs> we're going to, is where we're going to start. Uh, oiled up sax player was the sax player for Tina Turner. In the 80s and early 90s, Tina Turner was in Thunderdome, Mad Max, right, with Mel Gibson, who was in The Patriot, with Heath Ledger, who was in Batman, with Christian Bale, who was in The Big Short, with Finn. Oh my gosh, I love that one. That's, I love that. I love that because of some of the people you used with that was amazing. That was amazing. My whole but, thing was I, I have to use the sax player. There he has to link incredible. somehow. And I worked <laughs> for days. <laughs> that's incredible. This is going on my list of I have some favorites that people have done, and this is definitely going on that list. I mean, so far nothing has beat Meg's connecting him to a podcast. <laughs> nothing has beat that so far. But that was that was I liked that a lot. And plus I always love it when we can, you know, have a mention of our unofficial mascot, Christian Effing Bale. So, Susie, you did find one, right? I'm not going to have to kick you out of my Finn crew, am I? Uh oh. Oh, Susie. Susie. I have one. I have one. I have one. It's relatively short, though. I hope that's not a disappointment. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) Well, I went with the incomparable Diane Weist. She was in Practical Magic. Yay, spooky Yay. season. Love Practical Magic. With Sandra Bullock. And Sandra Bullock was in Forces of Nature with Benjamin Affleck. Benjamin Affleck. And he was in the critically acclaimed <laughs> snail propaganda film <laughs> Deep Water. Snail propaganda. <laughs> With one Finn Whitrock. There's your connection. Connection. That's awesome. That's amazing. I love the snail propaganda film. (laughs) 
Yes, yes, we, yes, that was a very beloved film from our, uh, that we all loved, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Benjamin. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I ended up, well, I'm going to still use this one, even though there's kind of something that's kind of similar to Sasha's, but I'm still going to use it. So I used Jason Patrick, who was in The Vanished with Peter Facinelli, who is also in the Twilight series. That's not what I use, but I'm just right up there. Uh, I don't like Twilight movies, but, you know, we're talking about vampires. So, uh, But he was in the show Roar with Nicole Kidman, who was in the fantastic movie Rabbit Hole with Aaron Eckhart, who was in The Dark Knight <laughs> as well, with Christian, who was in The Big Short. So we both used the same movie at the end there, but different different ways to do it. So yes. So uh, if you want to play the listener version, I know I said last time it would, would be up there. It should be hopefully by this time. I will tell you, I'm going to be selecting Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, Friday the 13th, and Halloween for Horror Month. So let me know how he's connected to any of those movies in any of the series in six degrees or less for a chance to win some It's a Fandom Thing merch. And also, if you love snails, we do still have, <laughs> if you were part of the snail propaganda, we do still have It's a Snail Thing merch up on our store. We also have It's a Horror Thing. We also have It's a Destiel Thing. And of course, It's a Christian Effing Bale Thing, our amazing mascot, I do want to make a note, though, if anyone reaches out to us and wants to know if we're going to cover his new movie, Amsterdam, we are not going to be talking about this movie on the podcast for reasons. So uh, having to do with the director. So we are not going to cover any new new movies from David O. Russell. I just want you to know we have talked about previous ones. We will be talking about Silver Linings Playbook in November, but we will not talk about any of his future projects so i know i've had people ask me about this if we were going to talk about it because it's christian bale and we are not going to so i'm sorry if that disappoints anyone but we won't we will talk about when the edgar Allan poe movie comes out speaking of edgar Allan poe we will talk about that one for sure so yeah so look for that uh coming and we are still going to celebrate christian bale month in january and christian will be making an appearance again I'm sure. <laughs> of course he will. He's so stoked. <laughs> yep. Um, so Carla, who also is our lovely Christian effing Bale, um, my co-host during that month, and my other big fan of Christians, although he needs to stop working with that certain person. So Carla, where can they find you and your amazing podcast? Well, thank you, Erin. You can find me and my co-host Meg at our podcast, Bedwetter Behead. You can find that wherever you get fine artisanal podcasts that are handcrafted with love and care. You can also look for us on Twitter or Instagram. At Twitter, we are at Bedwetter Behead Pod. Bedwet Behead Pod. At, on Instagram, we are at bed.wet.behead.pod. Other social media, just look for Bedwetter Behead Podcast. Uh, we also have a website, Bedwetter Behead. Uh, you can find me and my musings and my art uh, on Instagram and Twitter at Carla Temis or my website, carlatemis.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S dot com. 
<laughs> awesome. And I still mouth along with you. Um, <laughs> Sasha, where can they find you and your um, rabid wiener? My rabid wiener? <laughs> so if you want to see what books I am currently reading uh, or hate reading, um, you know, which fairy porn I'm up on and not, you can find me on the gram at vegan geek chick. In my bio is linked for Undui, who is my rabid wiener. Um, I don't know. I actually at work the other day said, I have to go home and let my wiener out. <laughs> people went, I'm sorry, you what? And I was like, really have to stop calling him my wiener he's my dog let my dog out the dog there's a dog it's a dog it's a dog so yeah it's the rabid wiener it's a rabid and wiener thing it's a rabid wiener thing um yeah you can his instagram which i've been severely lacking on updating but um you can find images of him there thank you and Susie. So you can find me if you just grab like a skull and you put some fun little like trinkets in it and you just shake it in the direction of the woods and I should come out within um, three to five business days. If not, please leave a message business with a mouse days. that lives in the, <laughs> in the corner of the garden. Other than that, you can find me on Instagram at the underscore crafting underscore cryptid and my dog's Instagram is linked in the bio of mine and his is Benny underscore Pelosita and have also been lacking on his Insta. So we're, we're, I'm right there with you, Sasha. So I need to work on, on content for that. But if you want to see fun, fluffy pictures of him and all his furry fury, there it is. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, and this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. I have never given this out, but um, Fergie is on TikTok. I, I haven't done a Fergie TikTok in a while, but she is on TikTok. You can also see some older TikToks of my dog Schroeder that passed away almost two years ago. So you can see some of those on there too. At Schroeder, that's S-C-H-R-O-E. D-E-R and Fergs, F-E-R-G-S. So, and is spelled out too. So you can see that there, the, the profile pic is actually of Schroeder, but you can follow that on TikTok. And while you're on TikTok, you can follow the podcast on TikTok at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. Be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash It's a Fandom Thing Pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, I know you did an interview, Jason Patrick. I really think you're fascinating and I would really love to talk to you and you and Kiefer Sutherland and almost anyone from this movie. There's certainly one. <laughs> Diane Weist, if you'd like to come on and we can talk about how much you look like my mother. <laughs> Go to our website. It's a fandom thing pod.com. Click the contact us button there. It'll shoot us an email. And I do try to get back to those as soon as possible. This is a busy time for us, but please don't hesitate to reach out because I love doing interviews. I haven't done an interview in a little while now, so I am seeking out interview guests. But while you're there, do head on over to the tab for our second annual horror trivia event. 
because by this time we'll have the information for the contestants for night two, which is going to be, this is dropping on Friday, the 14th. So night two is on Saturday, the 15th, and that's television horror. So we're going to be talking about, of course, Twilight Zone um, is going to be part of the trivia. It's going to be uh, Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Dark Side. And of course, uh, we're going to be talking about Ryan Murphy. So we're going to be talking about American Horror Story trivia. So not we're going to be not going to be talking about him. We're going to be doing trivia. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, and I'm not sure of all the contestants for that night at the time of this recording, but do tune in. They're a ton of fun, and they are uh, tomorrow nights is going to be at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on our YouTube and Facebook page. And then next week for our horror month, we are going to be first talking about the Child's Play series. So Susie's going to return for that. Fingers crossed we have two special guests on that. I don't know yet, but fingers crossed it's able to happen. So put out that good mojo there. Uh, We'll know by the time this drops. And then we are going to be talking about the Final Destination series. So that's going to be with Susie and Sasha. And then Kimberly from Big Reputations Pod is going to be on that one as well. So I'm really excited about that. We're going to have just a ton of fun with that. We're not going to take the Final Destination one seriously at all. (laughs) I told my panelists it's just going to be a fun one. We are going to mention our favorite kills because I think you're going to have to in that series. So, yeah, I just finished rewatching all of them. And, yep. Anyway, so until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.